Hey everybody, this is Tim. Before we get going with the episode, just a few bits of info for you. This interview was conducted back in December 2018, so like four months ago. We held it back when we realized that both Game of Thrones Season 8 and Avengers Endgame would be coming out within just a few weeks of each other, so we figured that would be the perfect time to release an episode featuring sound designers from both projects. We don't really talk about anything specific from either of those two projects because they were both not completed yet. But I think you really get an idea of the workflows and thought processes that go into such complex productions. This episode was volunteer edited by the fantastic Natasha Haycox. She recently made the leap from mixing short-form promos to going to long-form drama and is now assisting award-winning mixer Howard Bargroff at Sonaris Post in London. Please give her a follow on Twitter at nneem. That's E-N underscore N-E-E-M. Okay, let's jump into the original intro. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tonebenders. I will be your host today. I'm Tim Muirhead. Renee can't be with us today. He was going to be until he realized at the last moment that it was his son's first Christmas concert tonight. So he's got to go and deal with the Christmas concert and the kids singing. I'm sure that it will be a beautiful, tuneful night for him. You can follow our podcast on Twitter via at the Tonebenders. Our guests today have worked on some of the biggest films and TV shows this century has had to offer. First up, we have Paula Fairfield, who is the sound designer behind the mind-meltingly good Game of Thrones. She has brought the world of Westeros to life with the sounds of flying dragons, white walkers, and countless creatures only her mind could dream up the vocalizations for. In addition to Game of Thrones, she has worked on Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, Mother, Alita Battle Angel, which I'm really looking forward to, and tons more. It is a real honor to have you on board, Paula. Welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. We also have uh, a returning champion. We have Nia Hansen. Longtime listeners of the podcast will remember her from our episode 55, which is one of our all-time most popular episodes. If you've not heard that one, please go into our archives and search it out. Again, that's episode 55. Nia works at Skywalker Ranch, and we will only list her credits since the last time she was on the show to save us time. She worked on Thor, Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War. I don't know if anyone's heard of that little project. And the recent Damien Chazelle First Man film. Welcome, Nia. It's great to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be back. I can't believe it's been two years. (laughs) A lot has happened for you in particular in the last two years. So there's some pretty awesome movies you've been working on. We've gathered you two here together to kind of have another one in our series of roundtable talks on doing sound design kind of specifically for computer-generated special effects and creatures. Because that's something that uh, a lot of people that are working on smaller projects don't quite get to indulge in with the same uh, frequency that you two have. And it's interesting, that's got to be addressed an entirely different way than something that you're getting with the picture right away. I'm assuming that most of these effects are coming quite a bit down the timeline. And I wanted to talk to you guys about how you prepare for these things so that at the last minute you're not just overwhelmed when the picture arrives. Is that the case? You're getting the picture, these effects at the last moment before the mix? I mean, every project's different the way they handle it. It just, it depends, and it depends on... It also is, interestingly enough, depends on bottlenecks, what's going on, because we've seen, I think sound design has sort of grown up, has evolved and developed as a role, as a role that we recognize hand-in-hand with the evolution of visual effects. And But the pressures on both sides, and in particular on visual effects, have been, I mean, astronomical, especially in the last few years. And I, I've noticed, I don't know if you have, I've noticed sometimes you get on shows and there are just bottlenecks going on because you've got the same amount of houses throughout the world being accessed. Like 
you know, Thrones is, I don't know what they're doing this year, but I know the last season, it was like five, six, seven visual effects houses simultaneously. And if you look at the large landscape of visual effects and what's going on, you've got a whole bunch of other shows also clamoring in and they're big, big, big deals. So obviously if you're in something lower budget, it can go quicker or it can go slower depending if they're trying to squeeze in. And so it just, it kind of a lot of, I think a lot depends on, on the project itself for me anyway. Yeah. And you sort of see the progression from storyboards and then previews and it's sort of with a lot of visual effects houses working on the same thing, you'll see shots that will, part of it will look great. And then um, another house will contribute something, the animation of a different character in the shot, say, or some particle effects or something. And other parts of the shot will go back to the old, <laughs> the old version that that house had. So you sort of see this, this combo of things coming and going, and you're trying to keep track of, you know, figuring out where it's headed in the end uh, to keep the sound current. Yeah, that's that's changed a lot. I think over the last, like in the last, especially in the last five or six years, you've got multiple visual effects houses handling and updating. And because our sound is so intertwined with how it all evolves, and we're trying to evolve with it it's a guessing game sometimes like what's going on and it can look very different. Sometimes they misinterpret and it's what I've had that. I, I, I had that, I've had that several times where they're coloring, you know, even with the dragons, I, I know uh, the last season, I thought it was one dragon for the longest time that was happening. And in the end they had miscolored it at one point and it had stuck or something. And so, you know, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I adjusted it, but it's kind of, you just really have to look and um, conforming and stuff isn't so easy when you're working up against visual effects. There's no good conform software that can guess what the hell is going on and what's <laughs> actually reusable. So you've got a lot of hand conforming and some of the projects it's really frustrating because you end up only getting a few weeks of design work and then you're just reworking stuff and catching up for the rest of the time and it never used to be that way and it's it's very frustrating that part of it for me anyway yeah and especially early on the communication between all the different houses and like the creative process is moving so fast we don't always get information so sometimes you'll see a shot will change to something totally different like okay i'm gonna hustle and change the sound to this new thing but that was just a shot that they were maybe trying out or someone put it in because they were going to pitch it and then maybe it gets rejected or accepted and then the next turnover it's different again or it's back to what it was and then oh change the sound back so a lot of times we're chasing ideas that are coming and going um as things evolve uh and as they're throwing visual ideas at it, we got to keep up with the sound or feel like we need to. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's meant that my evolution of stuff when I'm doing stuff that's really heavily designy and heavily dependent on visual effects. I don't know if you do this or not, but I started a few years back cutting in 96K always and leaving everything live as late as possible, meaning because I use elastic audio all the time and all kinds of stuff. And it's just like leaving it like that, but it puts a lot of pressure on the system. And, you know, with the complexity you're trying to add to that and you're getting layers and you're, you know, I'm trying to like, I find my my way of working is constantly shifting to accommodate also these compressed schedules and changes that, that, that are going on. And how do you give the mixer something that you know you might have to take back and how what's an easy way of being able to substitute and all this planning and stuff. And it just, it's just this crazy dance that goes on, but it, 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 
you know, it's gotten to the point where, for instance, like, I like to hear all the elements together, obviously, even just like, say, let's say the dragons, right? It's like, I want to hear it all. I want to hear it all together because each piece affects the other piece and they all fit together like a really tightly knit little jigsaw puzzle. But it's coming to the point where, you know, as the season goes on, because I'll cut, you know, I want to cut all, all the dragons together in one gigantic section, say. And then I start to have to, like, halfway through the season, I have to break just the wings out by themselves, work on them, mix them, do a rough mix, pull them into another session, and it keeps breaking down like that. It's crazy, but you have to do it. But it, it, it starts to become complex because the... 96k i mean it chews up twice as much space and it's twice as hard on the system and take you know you can use half as many tracks so it's and depending on how much plugins and all that kind of stuff it, it starts getting cumbersome but it allow it's allowed me to keep adjusting and have maximum flexibility so i have to keep going back and trying oh it's like what what was that effect that i printed how did i do that because now it's three times as long you know or whatever you know yeah that's what i find with creatures a lot of times the mouth movement and the body movement of the creature will change so it's shorter or it's longer and you're constantly kind of trying to fit what you've done into the mouth of the creature as that visual is evolving while still keeping the emotion that you wanted initially to serve the story the same but to fit it the way it's changing yeah with with harder effects and things like weapons and magic um, in the Marvel Universe, I find that early on, not having the visual forces me to not put in detail and instead bang out the sound that will be recognizable and tells the story of what's going on. Like if it's a complicated fight or a certain um, object or weapon or technology that's being used that needs to be instantly recognizable uh, to what's going on in the scene. And then later on when we see... The details of the visual effects, the, the magic, the particle effects, the energy, the lightning, whatever is going on. We can add that on easily to the sound that's already really signature. Yeah. Yeah. I think layers is a key, you know, for sure. Two, and textures also that you can possibly replace or change as they change and evolve. Because for me, like, I like stuff that's really tactile. So texturing early on is something that allows me to not focus on the preciousness of each thing because you know it's going to be embedded in some in some larger fabric or something if that makes any sense so but you know it has to have different layers that you can swap in out and shape and again it just takes a lot of planning it can be a mind bender and I've gotten myself into some technical stuff where I've had to back up not back up but just stop for a day and re kind of configure because you know my system's crashing every two seconds because I've just pushed them. I mean it's it's nuts when I think about the evolution of the technology what we're asking it to do versus when I started um is crazy and uh but it's exciting it's exciting what I mean my god every minute it seems somebody's coming out with something kind of cool new plug in or something really interesting and now a lot of there's a lot of a lot of developers that are coming at it from completely different you know angles and and running at it and i love it it's fun i mean it's um fun to see what people come up with it's but it's happening now so fast it used to be easy to keep up and now it's like oh my god i need 48 hour days <laughs> <laughs> yeah and to go back to organization you made me realize that we, i really t try to 
play this line between when I'm organizing stuff for the mixer on different pre-dubs, like having enough separation that like if this part changes <laughs> later on, we can dump it really easily yeah. uh, and not marrying things together that later, you know, that may not apply and we have to back go backtrack to the to the units. But not having a sound moment so separated that the mixer doesn't have the context to really blend it all together well. It's so that's the there's such a fine line between those two things, and it's the hardest one to find. I, I, I have caught myself in both directions, and it's always just, just trying to find the right spot. I mean, on a sh- on a on a longer running thing like Thrones, you you know, if you've got the same crew, if you have the same crew, we have, which is fantastic. So it's a treat. It's the ultimate. You just now we have a. a a language kind of all work together and you know communication back and forth what each other needs is easy and we kind of you know but it's harder on movies you're off, often thrown together with people you might be with people that you work with a lot and you might not be you know it might be people that you've never worked with before and trying to figure it out or just the context of it again just this shape of how the visual effects come in and what what that show is and what it needs how to build it. It's, uh, and it seems every few months, you know, every time you start a project, there's a new piece of technology that everybody's kind of getting into. And so you have to take that into the mix as well. And it's, I mean, it's, it's fun, but it's, it's kind of crazy sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. We've been really, really lucky. We've kind of had the same core crew on these big Marvel films since, uh, Thor, the dark world. So I think this current one is our eighth or ninth Marvel film together. So we know the schedule. We know how it all (laughs) shakes out. We all know, like, our template, our workflow, and all that makes a gigantic difference. And the coordination, especially when you have um, signature elements and different reels um, and you need to coordinate. Or even, like, visual effects-wise, you say, like, does anyone have the updated shot of this, you know, mask formation? Okay, I did that, and, like, I tweaked what was there. So we're constantly trying to get elements from each other. And as a designer, I'm trying to keep track of you know, anything new that needs to be covered, things that have changed, and making sure there's consistency across all of those signature things everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's an, it's an interesting time to be working, that's for sure, because the process become, um, with these larger shows, has become very, very complex. And again, because there are multiple shows going on in the world simultaneously, sometimes their timetables are kind of crazy. I, I know when I started on Thrones... I would get images in it very early stages. You know, I remember one of the first episodes I saw, which was the first episode of season three when I came on, um, it was literally a tennis ball on the end of the stick was Drogon. <laughs> and, you know, and then what, but it, it was fascinating to watch it evolve because I had never watched it quite evolve like that. It was cool. But, you know, luckily with this season, a lot of the stuff so far, so it depends on, on what, but I've got in some cases visual effects that are more finalized and that's just delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and Paula, do you ever get really early materials like uh, concept art or things like that of the characters or creatures that are going to be in it before you start? Or do you just get the, the work in progress videos? Not on Thrones, never. It's like a surprise. I mean, what's cool about it is that the way it's worked is that we don't see anything. We see it all the whole season together at the uh, beginning, like a feed long binge watch feature film, you know, however... And, and, that, and that's when we're introduced. 
And I like that. I wouldn't, it's funny. I'm a little weird that way because it's, I don't mind looking at scripts later, but I don't like looking at scripts first. And the reason why is because it's the only time I get to watch it like a viewer, even as, as rough and tumble as it is. It's the only time that I get to watch it and react to it and see how I'm reacting to it and get invested in it. And if I read the scripts, I'm really always happy to do that and not know. And then I'll freak out after that. <laughs> Which is yeah, like, I'm the same. You know, I mean, and some, you know, sometimes there's a lot. Last season, there was a lot. I, I, a lot of new stuff that was crazy. And I was just like, oh, my God, what in the hell am I going to do? You know, and I'm sure you've had those moments, too. Just go, oh, dear. You know, but but those are the ones that are the funnest because you dig and you dig and you dig deep and uh, and so you know it's 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 great. But I, I had I, in other things that I've worked on, like Alita, we had a lot of just animatics for forever and ever and ever. It felt like on some scenes there was you know they were perfecting and doing stuff and and. You know, they also have a lot of other things going on with uh, because the avatars are being made simultaneously. So there's a lot of stuff happening. So there was, you know, it came in waves and uh, it was tough sometimes to figure out what, you know, you got the general sense, but it's hard to, um, it depends on what it is, especially with creatures and stuff. Like it depends. Some of the stuff that I, some of the stuff I work on lends itself to this really well, but my way of working has evolved in some way that's slightly mosaic. So it's bits and pieces and details in a way. And I can do broad brush, but it's, uh, I don't love it. And so I love to jump in and start detailing out. It's just how I do it. So for me to have something a little more evolved is a lot more comfortable space. I'm, I'm okay with it, but I tend to dismantle and go, you know, I tend to find myself going, and I don't know if it's the same for you going this kind of forward back, I'll try stuff, but I can't really just bite hard until I really start to see something and feel it because a lot of the stuff for me comes from that, you know, sort of a, a, a connection that you start to form with the material. And it's really hard when the stuff is really just kind of cartoons or drawings or whatever. I mean, you've got to come up with something, but it's, you know it's such a long shot, too. It's hard because you want to jump in and come up with a thing. So it's a process. It's an interesting mental process as opposed to something where you see the stages evolve and you've, you know, like with Thrones, I guess. Yeah, like I say, different seasons have been different, but, you know, I have enough time with the final material, which is nice. Because that's the other thing that happens a lot. It's like sometimes we don't even see the final material. It's like... It's been done and printed and the final shots have gone in after, you know, unless you're supervising, which, you know, if I'm not doing that, then I don't even see the very final, final, final all touched up, you know. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the big, big, big stuff, it's, it's a very kind of interesting process. And they're big beasts to build, you know, these, these heavy-duty um you know, the big CGI stuff that, that we're looking at and especially the stuff you've been working on, for sure. Yeah, and sometimes when the visual effects shows up really late, it's like you may only have a few hours to jump into creative gear and pump out, like, brand new sound design for this thing that just showed up that needs to get to the final mix stage in a few hours or four play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it can be hard. Because you knew it was coming, but you may have thought may look nothing like 
that have nothing to do with what, because for whatever reason, they've changed it or whatever, which is probably why it's arrived late, because that's the other thing. You know, there's stories to all of these shots and all kinds of stuff going on. And we're just kind of the last to get our fingers on it. And it can be really frustrating because, yeah, you've got like 10 seconds, you know. And even and on these big shows, sometimes like a, one of the clients won't have time to view it until that late in the game. And then they finally hear the sound and there's some note or it gets thrown out entirely or something about it is not right. And so then you only have that little time span because they've just got their ears on it. So then to, to reshape it creatively to what they really want. Um, and I, like you, Paula, I like digging into the detail and getting really deep into a shot and existing with that shot for a while. Um, yeah. I'm not rushing it. And I also on, I started on Dr. Strange about a year early with just a list of things that might be in the movie with yeah. very obscure names <laughs> and not a lot of information like, what is this? So it's sort of up to me to use my imagination with like this, just the name of an object or a magic power or something like that and start creating a library of sounds. And that in a way was sort of freeing not to have the visuals at all and just sort of make things. And some of it ended up working and some of it didn't. But I find the, the middle ground where you, you kind of have some visuals, but not really a lot, is the hardest for me. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. get my, like, having nothing and, and getting creative and having that total freedom is fun. And then having the finished visuals with lots of detail and getting nitty-gritty, marking things visually with sound is really fun. But in the middle stages, it's kind of hard. The really rough stuff, and in fact, it can be very... Sometimes the graphics are really not very pleasant to look at. It can be quite repelling, repulsive in a way, like in the sense that you're trying to connect and find the connection and pull the connection and do that with the sound and really do. But it's like some I found, like I find like some of the visual effects sometimes because they're just like little cartoon drawings, you know, they're like their thing or whatever. They're like very basic kind of animatics. It's like it actually does the opposite. It's like you look at it and go, eh, you know, and yet you've got to kind of. So I, I agree with you. It's like either there's no expectation of that. You can just dream big and who cares? Or you're looking at it, trying to be inspired by this just gnarly little nothing. And it because it tamps down, right? Because it's somehow you have to come up with something that could fit that thing, but it doesn't. You know, I don't know. Right. It, it's a weird, it's a weird space to be in, and I, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, or like you, you want to be capturing the storytelling or the emotion of it, and put a sound there that fits that. But you are really, in a way, bound to what the visual is, like the little yeah. pencil drawing or the green screen, and it's not there. Or because if you don't match it to some degree, then whoever's reviewing it and watching it, there will be that cognitive disconnect between the sound and the visual. Like it needs to match somewhat. So you're still kind of stuck. That's what I mean. And then, so if you've got this shitty, oh, sorry, thing <laughs> to look at and you have to somehow come up with a great idea but attach it to visual garbage that will one day be something awesome, but right now it's not. That's what I mean. It tamps down the creativity because you can't, go beyond what you can kind of sell as this thing. And if you go too far with a cool idea too soon, it can get scrapped before it's given any chance to live up against a much better visual, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that a lot where, you know, go through iteration and iteration 
And then as soon as the visual effect is done, whatever the sound in at that point is perfect. <laughs> it worked. It finally works because their visual is in and the two sort of lock together. And it wasn't really about the sound not being right. It was that marriage of the two wasn't there until they're both finished. And I, uh, with the Marvel films, uh, a lot of times we'll have, um, we do friends and family screenings and other films will do temp mixes. Um, so a lot of times you're rushing um, to put things into uh, unfinished visuals just to try to sell it to an audience. And sometimes there's green screen or <laughs> you don't really see what's going on and it's hard to understand, especially like action scenes, like what is happening. So the sound work we do then is really to help sell what is going on story-wise. You know, the car's coming in here or Captain America throws the shield off this way and then it comes back around the room and then he catches it and then he hits this alien that we don't see yet and there's a vocal. And so you're really selling story points um, early on in those kind of movies. So you get the scaffold of um, sound pieces in and then start to tweak those as the visuals get better. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Those, yeah, those screenings can be crazy. Or if they do multiple previews and stuff, you know, depending on what's going on, because it's not necessary about the right sound. It's about the sound that tells, that explains what's not there. And that can change. It could still be the same sound, but it, you know, it might change once, once the visual is there. So again, and again, you've yeah. got to kind of imagine what it is enough to make sense without any concrete visuals. I've had that also, the green screen stuff is crazy sometimes. Uh, yeah. So we, we end up putting in a lot of sound early on, but whether that stays or has someone gotten attached to it, does it fit anymore, does it not, is there a different concept? So we lay it all out, and then it's constantly reshaping. And then when the visual arrives, yeah, you get to dig in with textures and detail and all of that goodness. I mean, the ultimate would be to have just finished stuff and have, like, that's the thing. is like, you know, it's like, oh, how long do we have? Well, you have all this time. Yeah, you have all this time, but like, okay, so say, you know, it's like, oh, you have six weeks, but really two weeks is spent actually doing something, doing any work, but it's design work, except it's done to all visuals, and the rest of the time is spent spinning wheels, catching up, catching up, catching up, or something like that, you know, it's like crazy, I mean, if we actually had this full six weeks, you know, as an example, it would be fantastic. But that doesn't happen very on and often. And when it does, you know, it's an incredible treat. My God, because then you can jump in right away with all the and not have to be peeling layers or even adjusting to stuff that's already there because you don't want to take it out. So you've got to kind of come up with, some, you know, it's it's it's. And animations can be a treat to work on because their animation has to lock pretty early so that they can um finish rendering and put in all the effects and lighting and all of that. Um, so it's sort of a refreshing <laughs> that the animation locks and then you know the shots aren't going to dramatically change, you know, everything's going to be where it is. Yeah. I just turned my mic off for all of that because that was awesome. <laughs> this is fantastic. Um, so quickly, I just wanted to ask, you talked about doing uh, revisions when new pictures come in and separating out layers. Are you using colors in the Pro Tools session to cue this, or how do you keep track of your revisions? So our our sessions are split out into different pre-dubs that are all each a color, so visually it's sort of easy to, to scroll through them. Um, we go A through M, or P sometimes. 
So sometimes your new version will be, or your new addition to what's existing will just be on a new pre-dub. And a lot of times that's safe in case that visual disappears in the next turnover, or maybe it's a little different. Do you have that sort of what you added separate? So we'll keep things separate like that. And sometimes we'll region group or mute something that doesn't, like, this disappeared. Is it coming back? I don't know. (laughs) Or this is one spaceship is now 30. Is that going to (laughs) stay? So try and coordinate with colors and region groups and different pre-dubs to organize. And then as it gets closer to the premix and the final, we'll usually reorganize. So say, okay, I have these five different layers that were all sort of added in at different times. Can they be combined? What's similar? What's different? What seems like it's really key to the sound? And what is just sort of texture and detail that may change? Um, so reorganizing later. But pre-dubs and colors and groups and that all, all helps. How do you deal with... Um if you start adding plugins and stuff, and when do you start printing? I have a separate design session, separate from the effects cutting sessions. Yeah. So I do all my work there, and I automate it so it's easy to like figure out how I made something. And then I make files early on for the editors to cut with. But then if, if, if one of those files ends up being <laughs> totally needs to be tweaked, then I'll go back, dive back into my design session and... Um, make variations or take out whatever element and sort of revisit it. But I tend to try and design with that mixing mentality in mind, like the different layers, so that I'm never quite marrying things that I feel will will change dramatically later. So that I'm designing the pieces that are then cut in as layers that are ready to check or re-edit or move around as needed. Yeah, I, I work a little differently in that I just, I don't have an editor that I work with. So, and it's key for me because like I said, it's like weird. I've deve- I don't know how it ended up being, but it seems like in a lot of things, I just have an interest right now for some reason and bits and pieces, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. But um, so a lot of times the cutting how to pieces, how multiple things will fit together. I mean, I will have to loop stuff incessantly to lock it in and stuff like that. And so I tend to do that, but it's, I have pre-dubs as well, but I'm always fighting with when do I start? That's why I say I try to keep everything running and wide open and design the pre-dubs such that the processing might be similar or whatever, but it, it can get messy at some points. I've got to go back and and I hate when I have to commit too early because inevitably it's going to be that thing, you know. And so I'll make, you know, I have multiple playlists that I shut down or I'll do stuff that I know I can kind of wind back if I have to. But it's always a, it's always a thing, again, depending on what it is you're designing and, and time and all that stuff, I guess, too. But, yeah, I agree. It's, it's pre-dubs and colors. I, one thing that is a big pet peeve of mine is that I use Elastic Audio so much uh, that uh, region groups is not possible. And that pisses me off immensely because I, I've gotten to the point I need to use region groups. Is this the point that I print the Elastic Audio or not? You know what I mean? And it's, it's a bummer. You know? I mean, yeah, I can go back in and readjust and turn it back on. But again, it's, it's, it really messes stuff up. There's little things like that. I mean, that's when... This is like odd little oddities, again, still that we live with in whatever program I'm sure that we use, but that affects my workflow. It's, you know, I find myself bumping up against the walls on sometimes. Yeah. 
And so my design sessions tend to be neater than my editing. So I'll make the little pieces, and then I'm usually in charge of the design moments wherever they fall in whatever reel. Um, so I'll cut those and hand it off to the editor, and when there's a change, I'll often be bopping between reels to go and fix that moment because I know the pieces and I know, you know what I muted and where things are and I get, get back into it and shape it myself. And we also keep um, what we call downstream versions. So when we get a new turnover um, with new picture, we'll copy the entire reel at that point and move it downstream in Pro Tools at like 20,000 feet and beyond. So we can always go and look. If a shot reverts to something before, I'll be like, I had that, <laughs> and go and grab those exact pieces. Or if someone says, you know, I, I like this before, I don't like it now, you can go back in and grab that exact thing in the same session, and it's really easy. So sometimes I'll keep versions like that. If, if I've cut messy design stuff and I haven't committed to things, I'll know that it's downstream somewhere, and then I'll clean up the tracks for the premix. Um, or the final. Yeah, I mean, you know, the pro I hate what I hate is when I start having to get into multiple sessions, and you know, you've got conforms coming because then you're in fact conforming multiple times, also, and it's it's a bummer. But I inevitably run into it uh, at some point. It seems on whatever because I'll either have to split up types of things, or I'll have to split up, you know, whatever. Well, it's usually that it's types of stuff. Yeah, and that's that's maybe part of why that I have sort of a design session that isn't tied to any video. Yeah. And then the cutting sessions that we're going to be conforming is where that all kind of comes together and it's in one place. Uh, instead of having a bunch of sessions of scenes or cut sound design or um, sound design in process to conform as well as the effects reel. That's, that's my thing is that's what I always have because it's just how I... It's just how I work. But I was curious how people do that because it's like, I, and I think it is however you work. And, and we're all kind of artists working in our, you know, we have to work, we're working on these things for other people, but we're also essentially artists. You know, we're exploring sound, we're trying stuff. So we need to, each one of us, I think, finds our own space perhaps to be able to do that comfortably in the process. And it's interesting to hear how, people do it. I'm just like, I've gotten to the place where I just want my session to be like, I'd like to cut at like 192K and just have infinite amount of tracks and never have to think about it. And that's the thing. Yeah. It's like you always have to play with the technology and figure out how you can get around to make it work. So it's, yeah, it's cool to hear how other people deal with the, the issue of it. Yeah. Always working with some limitations. And thinking about the next stage, like, okay, this is going to premix, so I need to organize it. And then we're going to the final, so let's get our fixed tracks ready. Let's get pre-dubs edited and conformed and making your pieces smaller and smaller, <laughs> making those commitments, even though you know that it's going to change so much. Um, we always have on the, the final mix, we have a bunch of fixed tracks, and those are always loaded <laughs> on the Marvel movies. They're always full by the end <laughs> with things we've... We put in or replaced, and the pre-dubs are all cut up <laughs> and moved around and yeah, as if they were individual units themselves. Which is cool. I mean, I think that that's the thing, you know. It's the interesting thing about sound. It's, it is so malleable, and it's, one of, it's like probably the only medium in this process that you could literally be chopping shit up into the final second. And, and that's a really, it's frustrating. It's part of our plague, but it's also part of the kind of interesting process that 
it really isn't done until it's done. And, and as we know, even after the printmaster, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not finished. <laughs> so, but, the, but isn't it kind of interesting? I mean, it's like we work in this medium that nobody understands and is the most malleable. It's like the last thing, last stop on the train, the most malleable medium perhaps that there is. And it's, you know, we're freaks, man. <laughs> <laughs> And I love Very it. Very well put. <laughs> no, it's an interesting, it's, and it's also the most visceral of all mediums. I mean, we kind of, sometimes I think, oh my God. And it's funny because it is this like mysterious, magical medium to most people. I mean, what I love actually is I've noticed in the last few years, more and more people, more and more sound, pe- sound designers are talking about what they do, which is fantastic. Because for some reason, nobody was talking for a long time. And then, yeah, I remember I did, first couple of interviews I did on some colleagues who were like, what are you talking about your stuff? Like you're talking, telling people about your process. I'm like, yeah, like go take that and use that as a recipe and try and do it. There's no way everybody will interpret. That's what's amazing about it. Right. But it's like, we all bitch and complain how nobody gets what we do, but nobody talks about what we do. So nobody, you know, and it's like, I'm really happy. I really been really excited to watch it. You know, I watch a lot of, um, Oh, just stuff that all the kind of community, you know, we have like this, amazing now group of sound recorders that are all over the world recording all kinds of crazy shit. I fucking love that. It's like going, I used to like going to the hardware store and now I like to go and look at, you know, because it's wonderful. It's like, I'm inspired by the sound effects, inspired by all the podcasts. I'm inspired by the stuff and hear about how other people are working. And so, because I work so much and I'm sure you probably feel, I mean, our job is about working almost, I mean, depending on what your setup is, but for me, it's a solo, isolated, I live like a hermit in the desert. (laughs) That's a problem. But anyway, that's another story. But no, so it's really important to hear, you know, how other people are working. And I think because a lot of it for a lot of us is happens alone in a dark room. It's great to talk about that stuff. It's cool to hear. And, And because there's more dialogue about amongst us about what we're doing now more people are sort of discovering kind of how cool it is what we do you know yeah I love the cross-pollinating of processes and software and hardware and you know how it goes for everyone else because I always learn something and I'm always amazed how um, when I explain what post-production sound is to lay people how interested they are like it's a whole new world they're genuinely really interested and had no idea yeah. No, it wasn't all magically recorded on set. Well, and- our job really is about being invisible in some regard, right? I mean, the better we are, the better something sits in, the better we are, the better we sell it, the better, the closer we bring to the threshold of believability, the more successful we are at our job, but the more invisible it makes us, you know? So yeah. that's why conversation about what we do is really, it's fun, it's great, and it's important. I've done a lot of talks and, and talked about the fact that, you know, it's fascinating to me. I mean, we live in a musically literate society, but a socially completely illiterate society. And people are so unaware that that's the fun of our job, that we can play and no one even knows what we're doing. But it's amazing to me how how unaware people are. And when when you talk to people about this area that we work in, yeah, people are like, oh, my God. But, you know, it's like I point out, I mean, what's crazy is every person, every living being who can hear 
is processing millions of pieces of information every moment, like through your ears, just all kinds, making all kinds of judgments, making all kinds of comparisons, reacting, some of it very visceral. Our bodies, we know, are tuned to sound sonically, all this stuff. You know, we're, we're sound beings, but we're completely unaware of it. And it's, um, anyway... Wow, that was a I, was, I went off on Yeah. <laughs> I always find it fun whenever I've, you know, explained sound to someone or if I'm going to record someone's animal or a, a hobby or ability and sort of explain to them what I need, like, oh, that plane's passing, we need to pause, <laughs> or you need to turn off this generator or a fridge or and make them aware of their environment, sonic environment, during my visit, then I'll get you know, I'll hear from them later and be like, I'm hearing everything. <laughs> like they're they're noticing so much more about their sound environment than they ever did before just because they're aware of it. Well, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, in, when we talk about, in this age of talking about mindfulness and presence, you know, the medium you have to be the most mindful and present for is sound of all mediums in a way. I mean, you really, there's no... You can't ex- even experience it fast forward, you know, because it changes the completely what you're hearing. So it's really interesting and anybody can do it. And it's, it's just, I, I don't know, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, you know, when you do mindfulness stuff or whatever, people are always talking about sound as though it's just like the new thing people have discovered. It's amazing, you know, but it's wonderful too. I mean, I, I am excited to see that people discover sound. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I follow both of you on various social media, and you both have uh, separate artistic lives from your sound design. Uh, Paula, you you started out as an artist, I believe. Is that correct? You went to art school? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And Nia, you're an author as well. I was wondering how those separate artistic endeavors influence your sound design. I hadn't thought about it until people started mentioning, people who have read my writing started mentioning, oh, I can totally tell your sound experience and your film experience, you know, fleeting into your writing. I'm like, really? Because <laughs> I wasn't cognitively aware of it, but like in my descriptions and involving all five senses, it's sort of the same way that I focus on the film that I'm working on paying attention to details, like what's going on here? What's the emotional focus? What are these characters experiencing? What's important? What's not? The textures of the scene, the ambiences, the all of that focus that you put into figuring out what a scene needs sonically, I'm putting into my writing as well, using all the senses and making it really immersive in a way that um, I'm learning a lot of authors don't. <laughs> and I think that's because of my experience in sound design. Yeah. Well, and your sensitivity, I mean, that's, you know, ultimately that's, you know, your being is sensitive to sound, so no wonder that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my, um, I went to art school and wandered into sound later and actually, you know, made a number of short movies and films and stuff like that and installation pieces, but I stopped when I moved into commercial and hadn't for, I haven't. A long time, and I'm I'm uh, making that move back. A lot of my interest in sound is viscerality and, and the immersiveness of it, and I crave that to be able to make that in an art piece. And so the technology is finally arriving, and which is very cool. So I'm starting to kind of learn about 
uh, working more in VR and creating immersive experiences. I'm also going back to the idea of doing immersive sound, sound installations and stuff, which is similar to what I used to do. I just stopped. And I'm glad I did. I mean, I, I, I kind of stopped and went off sort of into this world and, and have learned so much and have gone on this journey. But depending, I mean, some of the, it's funny, the, the kind of workflow for sound in VR is so clunky right now. And it's, it's, it's really odd and, and difficult. And, but it reminds me of where we were with the technology when we were gluing together multi-tracks and video and, and mastering on PCM and, you know, had like workstation, you know, we had all the technologies and now we're kind of like filtered down to digital, right? So we're sort of at that kind of piece together technology point and, and, and sort of VR and where audio is in it. And uh, it's interesting. It's a little foreboding, but I'm starting to kind of try to learn because a, a lot of it requires like learning you know, computer programming, which is not something that is part of my vocabulary. But I find it really interesting and in, in realizing that if I want to chomp on it, I've got to learn it. And so I'm kind of excited about it um, because for me, the ultimate kind of crazy, I called it like, it's just like magical crack, is placing a sound in virtual reality and walking around it. It's like the craziest shit ever. And you start to think about sculptures and how they could change and how, you know, because to me, what I see about in that realm is that unlike visual effects, visual effects was kind of like when picture got to be able to make all the things they wanted to do, but couldn't before. Sound in VR is kind of like that. It's, you know, sound has been this wild child you can't tame. You're totally, when you present, depends on the speaker and the format and the room and the this and the that ultimately, you know, we can mix in the best theaters, but if it's presented in a movie theater and it's shitty and someone's coughing and they're eating popcorn, all this stuff, right? And you could only do so much with the different speaker arrays, right? So now, you know, imagine with VR, you know, you can control everything, how far it sounds, how far it doesn't, layers, adding, doing things that are physiologically not possible with sound, that you could possibly play with and explore. And to me... Right now, it's still conceptual for me, but it's it's one of the most tantalizing things, and I'm, I'm excited about exploring it. But as an artist, I'm kind of moving. You know, I want. I have this. I've been developing this uh, immersive sound installation that I want to do over the next uh, year or so. So, you know, it's just just kind of other ways to present and to present my own voice. I think as sound designers in this industry, we are always working with the filmmakers to bring forth their voice. It's, it's their voice that we're working on and trying to form. And so there's a desire for me to go back to, you know, as with your writing, for me to go back to exploring that again. And it's been, I mean, it's been, I'm not going to say how many years, but it's been a while <laughs> since I did it, but I'm excited. You know, it's, it's uh, I think the technology right now for sound, we're at this threshold of something truly incredible where, where this kind of idea of dimensional sound and being able to control in a, in a virtual world, for instance, allows, you know, it holds up the possibility of doing things that we've never been able to do before with sound, which is incredible. So that kind of stuff is fun for me. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think our creative focus on that immersiveness and the visceral experience of it really gets heightened by working on these 
films with environments that are completely green screen and creatures that aren't there that are all visual effects and you really want to sell that environment and that experience on the viewer so that they they don't they're not noticing the visual effects they're not noticing that this is a, a dragon that doesn't exist an alien that doesn't exist you know technology or magic that really shouldn't be or they're on a planet that's completely made up so we're with the sound we're trying to immerse them in this so they're not questioning any of that and just writing along with the story well i was like you know i remember you know school and stuff and, and writings talking about the suspension of disbelief. That's always been the thing people talk about. And for me, I, I think as sound designers in this world we live in now, it's actually, I consider it one step forward from that, which is that we must bring the viewer to the threshold of believability. Because at that threshold, they are not going to think. They're going to believe. I've had people say, I can't believe the dragons are not real. And the visual effects are stunning, and I work really hard on the sound to create all that kind of, you know, connection so that you, and that brings the viewer, all those things bring the viewer to that threshold of believability where they absolutely buy it, then they buy into it emotionally, then they're there, they're in it, and that's it. And that's, and I think with the visual effects, because the visual effects, the ideas are farther and farther out there, often disengaged from reality, we must bring the, the, them to the, it's beyond suspension of disbelief. That's kind of, I mean, you can do that, but when you can bring the threshold of believability, you have some power then because you, you can really play with stuff and you're, you're selling something that does not exist. Yeah, that's what I find really fun <laughs> on these types of movies. Oh, is yeah. Getting to that point and finding those little details and textures and air and space that really put you right there. You feel it. Like you re can reach out and touch you know, the dragon, the alien. You know, you can feel the magic in the air, whatever that is. You know what I mean? It's, that's the cool thing. And when it happens, for me... You know, I always say to young sound designers, enjoy the moment before it goes to the stage because it's exactly how you want it. And you sit back and you go, wow, I believe that for this second. And the child in you that drives us in this on a quest enjoys that moment. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, I'm like riding on a dragon or something. You know, it's fantastic. So the viscerality of it, that you think you can feel it, the manipulations with air and how we do that and, you know, all that kind of stuff and the emotive primal play that we use all comes into play in that, you know, bringing, bringing the viewer to that place, you know. When it happens, it is truly magic. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's what drives me to, like, get past all the other struggles that this career, you know, the bumps that you have along the way, it's that, those moments when you go, yeah, I like that is awesome. You know that it's just that like, keeps me. Yeah, you know. there's there are sometimes those scenes where you you've worked on it and you've been seeing it for months, and you play it back and it's in its finished form and get chills <laughs> because and you're watching it as a viewer, like you're pulled in. You're not nitpicking anymore. You're just there, even though you've seen it over and over. You're transported every time you listen to it. You're like, ah, that's, <laughs> I'm there. And I know it's okay to send on. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I know because I know it's, it's engaging me. If it can engage me after I've watched it so many damn times, it's, it's working. And it may yeah. not be perfection. There may still be some stuff, but whatever. But I know that, I know that all the parts are there and it's all working and all the pieces that need to be there when I can play it and go, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's if me or us who have seen 
14 million times every frame can also believe for a second, you know, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. The same. I can always feel if I play through it and something snags me and it's not even always, it doesn't feel like it's my ear that I'm hearing a thing, but I'll, I'll play through and there'll be this little irk and I'll, once I dig in, I'll figure out, oh, I need this there or this thing isn't playing right or I need to, but if I can play through the whole scene and nothing's snagging me, I know it's ready. <laughs> it's a gut thing. It's funny, right? It just like sits with you and it, it's, you know, there's this like moment of pure joy in a weird way. You know, it's like, cause it is, cause you're not criticizing and it's, you're just enjoying it for that moment. And then off it goes to go live on the stage and get trampled by music <laughs> you know and, and and subjugated to dialogue whatever <laughs> yeah <All that> talking. <laughs> you know I've always said to people it's like you take something you must learn even if it's a job that you don't love you must learn to find something to love about it and now that you learn something new or you, you know, you find some beautiful little mole that you can say, oh, that's beautiful. And, and, you know, whatever, you must find something to love in it. Because otherwise, for me, it would be impossible. You know, it's, I've got to, I've got to have that connection. Yeah. And I always try and remember the, be in the moment. Like if I'm playing through that scene, that's, maybe it's before the premix, or maybe it's just before the final and it sounds great and everything's working. The rhythm's there. I'm immersed and transported. I'll remember that. And if it, gets destroyed later <laughs> or visual effects changes or something about it breaks that feeling I remember that feeling instead of getting attached to carrying that forward to the final yeah. soundtrack I, you stay in the moment or if you're you're on the premix stage and the mixer's really into it and everyone's enjoying that shot enjoy that moment and not be attached to it staying that way forever well and it goes back to being artists because here's the deal it's a very hard lesson for some young sound designers to learn. I went through it. I remember myself being in tears on the floor when some of my work was removed because, you know, they decided to play music instead or whatever. It's like, it's not your voice. It's another's voice. And whether you agree with their voice and what that voice is expressing or not doesn't matter. Having another art form that you do something that artistically engages you and allows you to express your voice fully without anybody editing it is really can be very important in that because it'll it'll let you get less attached. You know, you can be have a more healthy attachment to the work and let it go. And whatever happens on the stage happens on the stage. You can enjoy it in that moment, and that's enough. I've seen, and I, you know, when I was a younger sound designer. I'm sure I did this, and I've seen young sound designers battle, do battle about a certain sound. It's like, it's not your battle. Another way to look at it is like our jobs are to go run to the edges of the universe, collect all the beautiful things, and come back and offer them up. And trying to figure out with the, with the filmmaker, what is their voice? What connects the best? And again, you know, you may find yourself making decisions that you can't, you know, sometimes people even they get tempitis, right, with a certain kind of sound effect. And it's frustrating, you know, if somebody goes, yeah, you know, that I like that one better. And you're like, well, what do you mean? It sounds like crap. And I spent all this time and it's so beautiful. And that sounds like crap. And this has all this detail and that doesn't and whatever. And it's like, it's so easy to fall in that thing of getting angry about that and like not understanding and thinking, well, I don't get it. It's like, what is wrong with you? Why can't you know, but the other way to do it is what is in that sound that was there? 
what is the energy essence of that sound that speaks to them that's missing from your piece? And what, you know, what is it? What, look at the two things and what is the difference? Why? And a lot of times, frustrated sound designers will go, well, they're idiots. They don't have any ears. No. And I, you know, as a young sound designer, I know I said that because you think you know what an awesome freaking gunshot should sound like. And what? I don't get it. But it's like there's something in the essence of the gunshot that they fell in love with. Something speaks to them in that. And so, again, sometimes and because we live in a sonically illiterate world, you've got to find as many clues as you can when talking to people. So it's their choice of sound, this sound instead of that sound, this word instead of that word to describe something that may not make any sense. But it's this word instead of that word, anger instead of rage. Those two things are really freaking different. If you look at them emotionally and what you might, choices you might assign, right? And so again, it's like, and we're, we're kind of psychiatrists a little bit because our patients can't speak our language that we must translate their thoughts to. We have to help and look for all the clues. And it can be super challenging sometimes, but if a filmmaker doesn't like what I have on stage, I've missed something. I've missed something in what they're asking for, how they've described something. I'll ask them to re-describe it, even though it makes completely no sense. But then listen to what choices of words to try to find it because they can't, they can't articulate it. They've tried to, and they've shown a sound, and they've said a word, and somehow we're not getting the message. You know, it's, it's a really complex thing. And every movie seems to have one moment that nobody can get over, you know, somehow, right? I mean, it's it mm-hmm. a lot of times that people get hung up on something. And again, it's like going back to real simple things like words. Um, yeah, the language can be a huge barrier, especially when it, you get really abstract with things like magic, where they'll use a word like warpy, <laughs> yeah. and they have an idea in their head of what that sound is, and I may have a different idea. So I'll create something that I think, oh, this is excellent, this is very warpy and then play it, but it doesn't fit what they have in their head for that word. Yeah. So then you're trying to translate abstract words and terms into real sounds, which is a skill in itself. And one that I'm still learning, um, and my sound supervisor is really great at that, which is which helps a lot. So he'll say, he'll give me the, the client notes and then say, they really mean this. <laughs> like, here's what I think <laughs> this means. Instead of trying to grapple with these adjectives and adverbs for things yeah because it's not really what they're saying it's how they're saying it that's really important sometimes it's the words they use can be really confusing in fact you've got to like look in between or what words don't they use it's a very weird thing it's really hard when you're missing visual effects or the schedule's really compacted or something it becomes this like real crazy dance yeah and sometimes the clients will have um They'll reference a sound moment in another movie that they want this to sound in. And then you go and listen to that moment and you're like, this is not, it's all music or this is not what's going on in our shot at all. But what they're really referencing is the emotion they had when they first viewed that film and that scene. And they attribute that to the sound, but it's not really about the sound. So you're, you're trying to translate what emotion did they have when they watched this that I need to capture here and try and recreate. <laughs> and that can be really hard to pin down as well when there's no sound actually referenced. Yeah, the way they remember it has nothing to do with the film itself. You go back and you're like, huh? 
or it's so buried. They've connected with some frequency. I've had that happen too. But there's some like weird frequency. It's not the obvious. They've connected with something else. It's very strange. But yeah, it's a, like a, a puzzle. It's this funny puzzle, like psychological, like Rorschach test. It's like a Rorschach test. Some people are really good at it. Some filmmakers are excellent at it. They know. And if they don't know, they're good at giving clues and they're good at making decisions if you suggest. But there are other people that are really struggle with this portion of it. And it can be very, very tricky. So, yeah, it's just, it just, it just, this is like other skill set, you know? Yeah. And it can be very frustrating for everyone. Also can be extremely rewarding because when you hit it, oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this has been amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is so great. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you guys want to talk about? Or? I don't think so. I feel like I could keep talking with Paula for hours. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I would love, I want to come make it up your way sometime. I've never been up to the ranch. Yeah, come visit. I must come up and visit sometimes. Please do. You know, I've been sort of on this campaign to try to get more women into sound over the last little while. And um, I think it's really important and I think more dialogue amongst women is really important. I think, you know, I, I have nothing but huge admiration for so many of our male colleagues who work in our industry. But I think we have a lot to offer. And I think our sensibility, our relationship to sound is different. And it's underestimated what that is. And I think beautiful soundtrack is a beautiful merging of both, you know, both all the parts. And a lot has been left out, and I, I look forward to more conversations amongst women and more women being, you know, included at the table to, to create the sounds of our world. I hear a lot, you know, women aren't, aren't interested in stuff, and I think it's crazy. It's like, no, it's been the most hostile of environments, and it's got to change. And I think, you know, it's nice to have this conversation with you, and I hope that there are some women who, who hear this, who go, oh yeah, okay. Because I, I accept opportunities to do interviews and talks and stuff because I want this next generation coming up to a book and go, hey, I can do that and, and open those doors a little bit. It's really sad. I mean, that we're still at, like they did that poll at the end of 2017. It was still only 5% of sound designers are women. I mean, that's outrageous. And so, and it's exciting. I mean, when I think we relate to sound differently, we work with sound differently, we connect in different ways. And I, I, I think it would be a much more vibrant and, and more rich experience for all of us, men and women, to work together to include that. But this industry has been set up in such a way that, that it's been very difficult. So I look forward to that kind of thing, too, and more conversations like this. I was so excited by it. It's not often that... This happens, and so yeah. absolutely, <laughs> I couldn't put it better. <laughs> yeah. And I encourage people to reach out. Like we're humans, and I'm really busy, but I try and answer questions and do sound threads on Twitter, and you know, try and keep the discussion going and stay open. Yeah, I mean, I always try. You know, it's like I've been doing the same, just kind of getting the message out to women who are interested. It's like, look, yes, it is possible. You can, and I'm just encouraged as much. And, and I do see a new wave of young women coming up that are pretty astronomical that are also heavy into coding and all kinds of stuff. Like technically, 
mind-blowing and are super creative. So I think that that is coming and that's, that's exciting to see, you know, all, all kind of across the industry. It'll be good. You know, it's not to take away from the work that's been done. I mean, there's been incredible work done, but we just need to make more room and we'll have more conversations like this that, that um, you know, just kind of show what's possible. You know, here we are, two chicks doing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today. I couldn't have been happier with the way this turned out. It was awesome. Thank you for listening. If you want to find their the Twitter accounts for both uh, Nia and Paula, you can go to the website tonebenderspodcast.com. The episode page will list uh, the ways that you can follow them on Twitter. Thank you very much for taking part with us today. And uh, come back next time, everybody. We got some really great episodes coming up, so we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Tonebenders. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the ToneBenders on Twitter or find ToneBenders Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at ToneBendersPodcast.com. Thank you.